Hello and welcome to the Just Mates podcast where we aim to destigmatize men not speaking up about mental health. Remember to follow our social pages on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Just Mates Pod. You can listen to and subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor and Apple Podcast. All links are provided in the description. In today's episode, we discuss alcoholism. This is our 10th episode. <laughs> yeah number 10 yeah um so today we'll be discussing um alcoholism i mean uh it's a bit of a weird subject really because i don't necessarily drink much i'm not really much of a drinker like a couple a uh, couple of my mates and now you don't drink at all do you no no religious purposes i don't drink yeah so um but i've been around people that have and obviously I've witnessed like people drinking, etc. So there are like the repercussions that even I've seen. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. There are there are a lot of repercussions for it, and it, it can just I don't know. It just deteriorates your way of life, and yeah, and do that sort of thing. But um, I think the aim for this podcast is to kind of um, we've got Simon coming on this. Um, he will give a little bit of his background and stuff, and he's. He, he's well equipped uh, to, to talk about alcoholism, um, yeah. the recovery process, how it affects you, um, and it, it affects different people in different ways. You know, it's like it's like anything. Um, but um, yeah, he, he'll uh, he'll touch on a lot of things which are really important. And I, we haven't we haven't covered really. Well, we I think we've touched substance abuse a little bit, um, but we haven't gone in full depth into no. It. And I think it'll be interesting because um, Simon, as you said, has a bit more of a um, professional outlook on this. Yeah. And um, yeah, he'll have a lot more experience in in saying the right things and the right kind of advice that we need to give out. Definitely. I mean, yeah. uh, sorry, uh, go ahead. No, no, yeah. Um, as well, I saw recently on this morning they were discussing mental health on Mondays, mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff that the therapist or the counselor that was on there that was answering phone calls, they are things that we've mentioned. And where we're not professional, like um, we're not professions in this industry, the advice we've given is very relevant, and yeah. I I stand by everything that we've told. Yeah, definitely. And given our own personal experiences and, you know, if so, if at least one person can relate to anything that we're saying, then I think we've done our job, mate. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, I'll um, I'll be we'll be inviting Simon onto this call. Um, and yeah, uh, we'll go from there. He'll give us a bit of a description about himself. Yeah. And then we'll discuss in depth about alcoholism and the after effects, the during, the pre. And yeah, we'll, we'll delve into quite a lot of it. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, we'll go into the um, recovery process, warning signs, and yeah, you're, you're just uh, it's, it's going to be a good one, right? Yeah. Shoot. Definitely. Okay. So episode ten, uh, we have got Simon Mitchell on the podcast. Um, Simon's my uncle. Um, always been one of my true idols uh, in the family. Always been a great friend. Um, really, really intelligent guy. Um, just. Yeah, Simon, if you want to give a little bit of your intro, um, tell people about yourself, what you've been through, what you currently do. Um, yeah, we'll just crack on from there. OK, yeah, so uh, hi, I'm Simon. Um, Honoured to be here. Thanks again for the invitation and for that. Welcome, uh, Sam. I hope I can live up to your, your expectations. 
The, uh, the, yeah. the reason that I've been invited on, as I understand it, is um, because I'm an alcoholic. I have a lifetime experience of, uh, of dealing with the horrors of, of addiction. Um, and uh, I have this great honor of, of sharing that experience in the hope that it might help somebody out there today. So, yeah. so I'm a 46-year-old father of two. Uh, I live in Devon. Um, I, I was a businessman right up until 2015, sold a business that I'd built uh, over 15 years. And uh, I'm now in the process of uh, a career change. And that involves uh, a postgraduate studies in, in psychology. So I'd, I'd like to get into addiction recovery in some form. I'm not entirely sure what that what form that'll take yet. But, yeah, you know, one of the great things about um, uh, the, the kind of trials and tribulations of life is that if we come through it, then very often we've got lessons and tools and whatnot that we can share with other people and help them through their the darkness in 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 their lives so, yeah so that's uh, that's 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 where i am today i'm i'm three years sober on friday that's so brilliant this Mate. is uh this is quite a quite a um significant time for me in in my recovery yeah um uh, and so so let me tell you a little bit about my 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 story um I was uh, I was born to two loving parents. I've got three siblings, twin sister, uh, that's Sam's mum. Uh, and uh, as I say, I had a, I had a very loving, um, very loving parents and in many respects, a, a very healthy and happy childhood. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they're, you know, they're... I've, I've never met an addict, I've never met an alcoholic that hasn't had some sort of adverse childhood experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and sometimes that is the fault of the parents and sometimes it's not. And I certainly don't blame my parents for, for the challenges that I faced as a, as a child um, and still have a very good relationship with them. But what you, what yeah. you generally find is that, as I say, that, that alcoholics have had some sort of trauma uh, in their childhood. And I can talk more about that, that later. But I, I came through into adolescence with... I kind of I, I was I was a shy extrovert. I wanted I wanted to be centre of attention, but I was a bit anxious about being. Um, I felt mm -hmm. vulnerable, and I, I always felt slightly different and marginalised, a bit of an outsider. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, very kind of philosophical and interested in understanding the deeper meaning in life and why people behave the way they behaved, and became a bit of a rescuer. I wanted to fix problems in the family and beyond. Just. Um, you know, there's lots of psychological formal terms for this enmeshment and stuff like that, but we won't go into that. But the yeah. fact is, is that I, I kind of got into my adolescent years and I wasn't that confident in relating to other people. I had lots of friends, but never really felt that I could, could relate really deeply with them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so when I went off to university when I was 18, I was brought up, my parents were, were um, God-fearing people and Christian. And, you know, I'd, I'd kind of been sheltered to some extent of significant extent from, you know, what they would have, what they would talk of as, as worldly pursuits. So when I, when mm -hmm. I went 
out into the world um, at university, I, I, uh, it was all brand new to me. The whole idea of going out and drinking and partying and, you know, it was, I was, I was let off the leash and I didn't really have the tools, I don't think. And, it, and, and I hadn't really the, the, the structure to know how to, to manage that. It, yeah. The, the first time that I went out and, and had those, you know, drinks and suddenly realized that this, this elixir could make me bulletproof. I felt, I felt a million dollars. I felt funny. I felt clever. I felt attractive. Uh, you know, rather than kind of working around the periphery, I was right in the center. I was, I was a member of the in group. I was attracting the, you know, the, the, the attractive girls. And it was, you know, if you've ever seen Jim Carrey's The Mask, it was you know, <laughs> yeah. hip kiss in his brown pajamas with his sad life and uh, you know no girlfriend and so on and suddenly he finds that mask puts it on and he's everything that he wanted to be yeah. that was it that was my that was my kind of baptism of uh, of alcohol did you um simon did you um did you drink at all before you went to uni yeah i did i did a little bit but because i was living at home and my parents were as i say you know pretty strict yeah. christians there was i couldn't come home smelling of alcohol so so it was it was difficult and and uh and so i, I had no idea really at that point that i was um you know that 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 I was susceptible to alcoholism, and that that would be the path that I would take. So yeah, I had had some experiences of of alcohol, but nothing much. Got to university, and uh, suddenly I realised that, I, as I say, I could be this I could be this superhero in my own mind. I probably looked a right dick to everyone else, but I thought I was uh, I thought I was the the, the dog's kahunas. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so that was it. So as far as I was concerned, to have a good time, you have alcohol. And and, mm-hmm. and to be honest, I think things are changing these days a little bit. But but at that time, you know, this is like 1992. At that point, mm-hmm. that's what we did. You know, we all went and got drunk and had an amazing time. And everyone else was doing it. And I, I got a name pretty quickly. They started calling me Smurf because I, I got into Smurnoff. And uh, yeah. Um, and I would carry a bottle, started carrying a bottle of vodka around on my inside pocket and, and I was preloading before I went out. And it was a real kind of, you know, prestige to uh, or accolade to um, being the one that drunk the most and ended up with the most battle wounds and ended up in the most trouble. And, you know, I started to get into trouble with the warden and with tutors and, and, then, and then, it, then it got a bit further and I ended up in hospital with, you know, various injuries. And then it went further and started getting involved in the police and you know by the time i was 19 i was in prison i i've I've been involved in um uh, violent crime while i was while i was drunk um and uh just you know the the descent into the darkness was so rapid um because while i was drunk i was completely out of control i was drinking to blackout uh and i just had absolutely no off switch yeah um so, you know, that, but that, even that wasn't enough to, so I, at no point did I think that drinking was the problem. I, I thought yeah. drinking was, was fun and people who didn't drink were boring and, you know, there was no way I was ever going to stop doing that. And so when I left university, I carried on doing it. I, I've always been a high achiever though. I've, I've always wanted, I've, I did well at school and college and, and somehow got a degree, you know, despite being in prison during it. And, um, and then I got a job and, uh, it was a pretty good job in it um 
but the thing was that you know i couldn't drink all the time like i did at university so i started to binge drink at weekends so it starts start yeah. on a thursday and i drink um i i drink heavily on thursday night but friday was you know i could i could manage a hangover on a friday because i could drink at lunchtime maybe leave a bit early and then and then that was it the gloves were off the boring mundanity of of working week had gone and now the real sparkling exciting side of life could uh you know could start and and i would um and i would drink and party and just go on an adventure um that i had no idea where it was going to take me um and kind of come round from it some at some point in the early hours of monday morning and the anxiety would kick in about getting into work and you know, stinking of booze and just feeling rotten and anxious, couldn't hold eye contact with people and so on. Uh, and so I'd miss a lot of Mondays, phoning sick and, you know, and whatnot. But I still didn't realize that it was a problem. I just thought, you know, um, you you work to live. Work is just a way of getting enough money to be able to party at the weekends. And I think um, to an extent it is kind of like that when you're a kid. I mean, I, I mean, you don't we didn't really touch on it, but like I think university is kind of like a building ground for a lot of alcoholics yeah um, really realistically um and you you can't really see if something's a problem because people are always going out two or three times a week anyway yeah um so it's kind of like you say it's 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 a bit of a mask for it if i'm honest um i, I can guarantee I've, prob- I've probably got like a handful of mates that are you know alcoholics um because of because of university i i can just i can just see that and i don't think that's spoken about enough really yeah yeah um, I think like as well i was never a drinker and i never drank but my friends from my class did and stuff so yeah. i was obviously always invited but never went and I, I felt like the odd one out but i guess okay it made me feel like an outsider on the other perspective of it Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting Naf, because, you know, I'm, I'm, st- I'm experiencing that now because there, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a social aspect or um, influence on people's drinking habits yeah. and, and um, it's a social norm. Yeah. Although that is changing actually yeah. because drink drinking's on the decline. I think it's a, it's, yeah, is it? It is, yeah. is it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it has been on the d- d- decline for a while The um, with with younger people. So there's a, there's an aging population in this country, obviously, and, and they continue to drink, particularly men. Um, but the younger generations are uh, abstaining in greater um, in numbers than they ever have. Yeah, I think it's also... Um... I guess while you were a kid as well and around your generation, it was more of a personality trait. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, drinking was definitely, um, you know, at at university, if you didn't drink, you were, you were boring and you'd be, you know, you'd be part of the out group. Yeah. Um, I, so the, the, the interesting point that you make there, Sam, I think is, is can you drink yourself into alcoholism? I.e., could you go to university as a, um, a, a child or as a, mm. you know, as a young adult that has not suffered any trauma or attachment issues or any kind of uh, um, have any real personality um, problems? So you're, you're secure in yourself and confident and so on. And, and, and then you drink. And as a result of your drinking, you, bec- you develop a, 
an issue an issue with alcohol mm. in in my experience certainly at the end of the spectrum where we talk about people being alcohol dependent or having you know severe alcohol mm -hmm. use disorder using kind of modern terminology uh, what we would all in lay yeah. terms can call a, an alcoholic um they've they've all had problems in my experience with in childhood and and drinking the, yeah. the alcohol is not the the problem alcohol is the solution so yeah so it's it fixes yeah. a it fixes a, a problem that they have in terms of the way they regulate their emotions for example or how they relate to other people um and uh, rather than it being something the alcohol is the, the the issue and by drinking it they become it becomes problematic yeah, it's um, it's a social yeah. lubricant, isn't it? Really, like in 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 a sense, because um, I I have kind of struggled really with kind of self esteem and, you know, when I go to parties and everyone's you know like big circle group, big groups of people, I'm never the one to talk. I like one to one conversations, yeah. like we're kind of doing now. Um, but once I have a couple of drinks, like yes. I literally don't care, and I like I feel much more at ease. But the thing with me that puts uh, puts me off alcohol above anything is I just maybe it's just the way I react to depressants. I just get incredibly depressed the day after, even if I have like yeah. one or two drinks. Yeah. Um, and uh, no nothing is in me to kind of go, oh, you know, uh, screw it, hand yeah. dog, I'll do it again. Um, and and that's the bit I kind of struggle to understand. Like, what would make you want to grab the bottle again after yeah. feeling? so yeah, yeah, yeah i think exactly. as well for yeah. you there sam like it's interesting because you said and this is probably a lot of people you rely on the drink to make you feel like a different person um and it, it goes back to what yeah. simon was saying about being codependent on the drinking and using drinking as the solution not yeah. the problem but then as as, as we started yeah. the pod i said there's a lot of repercussions to drinking and whether you think it's a, a solution or not when you're drinking you're in a different mind state and you can't really control what you're doing or saying so is that really a good choice to yeah. be a different person that you don't even know who that is yeah 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 exactly no. yeah it is it is a, a a social lubricant as you say sam and and um you know most people uh so i think it's one one in 15 i mean it's still a lot but one in 15 people exhibit traits that that are consistent with alcoholism in the uk for example that's an estimate um so that's a lot but you know there's 14 people who don't and and those 14 people um, use alcohol in a way that they can take it or leave it and um, you know it it does you know we're social animals but we're also you know self-conscious yeah. and um, there's very few of us that feel entirely self-confident and and so it just loosens us up and and uh, as a social lubricant helps us to to relate to others and let go and you know dance and 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 have fun um, but what that, so in that sense, stat, sorry simon what that stat doesn't yep. tell you is those 14 other people could be around that one person and as much as it's affecting the person drinking it affects everyone around you as well it's smashing point yeah of course yeah, al yeah. alcoholism is not just a it's not a, a disease or an issue for just for the individual it's uh it's it's a problem for the family and for for everyone and for the community and for society yeah 
Um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't so, agree. I mean, yeah, the, I agree more. Like, we always bring up stats and stuff, but there's the like you know, like hidden between the lines kind of thing. There's yeah. so many things that are a factor that we we need to like really think of, and I think it it puts everybody else's mental health at stake as well as the person that's going yeah. through it. So we, yeah, it's a good good yeah. good stat, but yeah, we need to be wary of every single person in that. Yeah, absolutely. So my my, yeah. my wife has, you know, I mean, I, I was an alcohol. I, I, my alcoholic kind of behaviour started when I was eighteen, and I stopped drinking when I was when I was forty three. Uh, although there was a there's since two thousand and six, I've been working very hard on on you know I I, I acknowledged my alcoholism. <laughs> Um, and I, uh, you know, have been, been working to, to control it and, and finally abstained in, in 2017. Yeah. Um, and, but during that time, you know, it's, it's been a real roller coaster for her. Um, I, I've shielded my, yeah. my kids from it as much as possible. And I probably won't know until they go in their thirties to their therapist, just how much of a, an effect my, um, addiction has had on them. But, you know, in my experience talking yeah. to, and I've spoken to and know, you know, hundreds of alcoholics. Um, the the impact on the family is enormous, and and the recovery, the the solutions that we need. You know, when you talk about um, helping uh, alcoholics through, you know, uh, into recovery, you've also got to help the rest of the family into yeah. recovery, and that's. That's why you find with 12-step programs like AA that they have sister programs that, that are designed purely for the the carers and the, the family of, of the alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you ever yeah. feel like you had a lack of people that trusted you as well because of it? Because as you said, like it, it's the, the family going through it too, but like you may feel like you've changed and you're in a better mental state and you can control it more but do you feel like people are reluctant to trust you yeah yeah good question i mean if so in terms of, if i pick up where my story is it's where, where i got to with my story it's um it kind of answer that question so um so I, I came out of prison. I went into uh, work and I had this kind of, you know, uh, weekend binge drinking pattern where I was I was successful at work and um, and uh, progressing up the ladder uh, whilst at the same time at the weekend getting into deeper and deeper trouble. And um, in 2006, after uh, my wife and I had been married and, and had our first child, uh, I got caught for drink driving. We, we had been it had been a, a very very dark time in terms of my my drinking. I I had, there was no fun left yeah. in it. I was drink I was drinking to I was drinking to feel normal. I wasn't drinking to have fun. Um, I was I, I was in a terrible panic state of anxiety and depression and um, just self loathing. Very very negative uh, mental states uh, and you know physically very unwell psychologically very unwell um and uh, do you know what that that night i was in the in the cell for having been caught for drink driving and i had crashed down around me i my my wife was threatening to leave me my um i was going to lose my child as far as i was got contact with my child uh i'd lost definitely going to lose my driving license possibly be back in prison and almost certainly lose my job 
And in that in that moment, there was strangely, there was a, a sense of peace and serenity. I couldn't, I didn't understand it at the time. I do now. But there was, it was a, it, it, the, I was no longer trying to spin all these plates. They'd all crashed yeah. down, and and there there was a relief in in okay, you know, everything that I've been fearing happening that I was going to hit this rock bottom. Well, I've hit it now, and the the kind only kind of way like is you've up, got nothing to I, lose I, now. Exactly, exactly. So I, I came out of there with a kind of uh, a, a resolve that I was going to, I was going to ask for help, and I was going to stop trying to do this on my own. I was going to acknowledge that I had a problem, and I was going to sort it out. And um, and I did. I I came out. I found a. I, I started reading some books, and I found a rehab that was um, run by one of the authors of this great book, Ronnie Arrelson, um, This Being Human. And uh, and I went I went to this rehab, signed myself in for, for six months or so. Um, it was a kind of twice a twice a week thing, and and what I was taught is all of this psychological stuff. So I was taught that you know the, the I was taught that there are physical, biological aspects to addiction. So genetic predisposition, and you know the way that the brain develops, the reward pathways associated with dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and all of those things. There can be deficiencies in alcoholics that lead them to or or addicts that lead them. To to be desensitized to these yeah. types of experience so so they do more of it um there's all sorts of biological theories and but so, it was the psychological theories that helped me to understand things like codependency yeah. and attachment theory you know attachment attachment theory is about um the way that you relate to your as an infant to your caregiver and if you feel as though you're secure in that relationship with you know your mother your father your siblings and so on um then you go out into the world in a in an adventurous and secure way if if for some reason mm. that that relationship those relationships are dysfunctional um then you can be very wary or anxious or um codependent and so on and and it just um makes those interpersonal relationships much more difficult um i learned about em emotional uh, regulation or dysregulation so the ability to regulate your emotions uh, is something that we learn as children so we look at our parents uh, from very young age and the way in which mm -hmm. they regulate their emotions in difficult circumstances us to regulate our emotions when we're having painful or scary experiences and if we don't learn appropriate um, coping strategies for the inevitable difficult times hardships of life early early on in life for some reason then what we mm -hmm. can do is we can retort to kind of self-soothing yeah. methods so yeah so we might dissociate as you've talked about already um you know uh there's there's a number of um there's a number of dysfunctional ways in which a child can learn to deal with difficult yeah. emotions rather rather than because they don't have the ability to process I think it's them. interesting because mm -hmm. um what you're what i'm kind of gathering from what you've just said is you're basically basing how you are on the role models you have around you so your parents yeah. or your carer or whoever it is that's looking after you is going to be kind of your mold of who you're going to become yes so if yeah, you don't yeah. have that yeah. strong bond with that person, then um, you really don't have that coping mechanism to pick up on. 
yeah. I mean, what I kind of did was because obviously my father kind of walked out. My my, I, I mean, luckily I had a granddad, so Simon's yeah. father that really catered and catered and looked after me and stuff. But um, and my idea of kind of like the father figure kind of fragmented out to different people and different inspirations and that type of thing. But I can guarantee, if I did not have that, I would I would probably be in a similar yeah. state. Yeah sort of thing yeah. so like having, having that glue that holds you together and role models when you grow up is so it's so important like even now like being 25 like it's so important yes um yeah to kind of have something to aspire to because humans are objective based if you think about it we want to always work towards something and whether or not that's pleasing your father pleasing your mother pleasing someone just working towards it and if you don't have that i think your whole value structure shifts and then you don't really understand who you are and then then comes on the kind of you know the drinking habits i don't know yeah. that, but that, if that, you don't have a role model um yeah. simon is there anything that you could advise what you should do if you um feel like you want to find someone to follow yeah so um yeah it's a good that's a good question i think there's there's a there's a certain amount of this that is conscious where we can look at you know um our, our parents and say that you know perhaps they weren't what weren't the role model that we needed or they didn't represent those things or teach us the things that we wanted to know but an awful lot of it is is subconscious and unconscious this is happening as yeah. an infant so as i say it might be you know the, the the obvious examples are if you've got an absent father for example then we we know from studies that that has a detriment mental effect on the way in particular in which um, boys develop because they need really do yeah. need that male um, role model um, if you've got an abusive parent you know it's quite obvious that that's going to have a detrimental effect on a child but less obvious is you know if you've got perhaps a mother or a father that suffers with depression or you know they're, they're a workaholic or not even a workaholic but they have to work two jobs you know because because of social pressures you know it, there, there is not necessarily necessarily the fact that a parent is or um, incompetent or, or, yeah. or, or incompetent it can be all manner of different um uh factors that lead into upbringing. a difficult childhood for for us and the, and the uh, upbringing exactly and the, and the thing is is that However well-intentioned and well-informed we might be, most of what we, most of the parenting that we will um, bring to our children is uh, is perpetuating yeah. what our parents taught mm -hmm. us, right? Because because it's 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 subconscious, and um, so I mean, back to your question in terms of. Uh, you know, role models. I, because because my parents were were very um, you know God fearing and and religious, or they, they wouldn't describe themselves as religious, but believers. Uh, and actually, the path that I wanted to go down was yeah. was diametrically opposed to that. There was there was there was no one that really that that guy that that I saw as a role model that was able to provide me with that guidance and i think it's a major it was a major major issue for me because no one was saying to me you know this is appropriate behavior in the world as far as i saw it all behavior out in the world mm. uh, was sinful and you know is and that because you, may as well you were fill hiding your boots. the fact that you were um, drinking from your parents so you couldn't relate to them 
Yeah, well, I mean, they, they, you know, my my parents didn't drink. Um, there was never any drink in the in the family, um, and I had no experience of it. Drink drinking was, you know, the domain yeah. of of the damned, you know, the sinners, and so there was just no, there was no constructive. Um, uh, uh, picture of what it looked like to be a responsible drinker in the world, um, but you know the, this is this is kind of I think the thing with with this is that it almost it almost um, it puts too much emphasis on the control that we have over whether or not we become an alcoholic or not, as though almost if we could if we could change this facet and, and introduce this particular individual, we might be able to. Uh, to you know stop ourselves from being alcoholic whereas my my experience is that there is a genetic predisposition biological factors that play into this then there's this the psychological component that you know is is almost beyond the the, the control of the parents and certainly of the child yeah. that by the time you get to kind of adolescence the the damage has been done oh. Um, and and really, you know, I think if it, it, the, the seeds of alcoholism are, are very, you know, firmly entrenched and germinated by that point. And I suppose then what you've got is um, situations in, like you say, university is then a, a, a real nursery for for bringing that kind of out because you know you you can hide out in the open with your alcoholism yeah. at, at, at university and then various kind of traumatic experiences through life i know people who've become alcoholic in their 50s or 60s because there was nothing traumatic enough in their life to and they weren't involved socially in circles that that drove them to drink a lot but then they had some later life trauma turned to drink and within five years yeah. you know they're at rock bottom yeah Okay. Um, yeah. No. Brilliant. Um, but I think I think I've only been in the circumstance when I've actually, you know, I needed a drink. Um, it kind of was just relating to what you were saying, Simon, about drinking on the weekends. Um, kind yeah. of like the the reward situation. That's kind of how I perceive it. So if I every time I pass my exams, every time I've done something right in my job. Um, you know, or, or, or something, there's like a special event or occasion that I'll go out and do it sort of thing. Um, yeah. I can, I can see that and how it can kind of spiral out because kind of like if you are working hard every week, you kind of do want a reward at the end. And yes. it's like, yeah, and it's the alcohol really is, I mean, not in the long term, but it's kind of like the short term cheapest option to, to give yourself do a little you feel bit of a booster. Like you, um, in yeah. that sense, you start to reward yourself too much and you, instead of a reward-based system, yeah. you're using it as just a normal day-to-day -day thing that I should be doing. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's when it flips, right? So, you, you know, you've, you've got somebody who, to start with, has is, um, realised that they, you know, when I take a drink, I feel disinhibited. I feel as though I can relax and be myself more. I'm having a good time. And they do that, you know, and uh, and then they, they start to build up a tolerance or they want to do it more regularly. So just not Saturday night isn't enough. I want to do it Friday night as well. Then I want to do it Thursday night. Your tolerance is up. So you're drinking more. Maybe you're starting to, yeah. you know, um, black out a little bit. Um, but there's no major consequences. At some point... 
that for, for for those of us that end up in a kind of dependency for for those of for those of you that don't end up end up with a dependency you go where sam goes which is this hurts i don't want to keep doing yeah. this you know or i'm going to do it rarely because the cost you know in some cases it, it outweighs the benefits yeah Right, right. So I'm, I'm going to do it sometimes, but do, but, but do you free. feel like those um, of us that have got people the- that are in that situation have the mental capacity to understand that while they're going through it? Like, how can you, uh, or maybe you can, maybe you've seen it. How can you advise someone to realise that they should, I don't know, stop really or notice it's a problem? fantastic fantastic question and and the thing is is that it's very easy now that i'm where i am um in terms of i'm outside of it and i i've reached a level of consciousness where i can look back on it and say okay yeah i look back on i say why couldn't i see that and i've heard many alcoholics say the same what my life was falling apart. My wife was going to leave me. I was going to lose my child. I was going to lose my career. I was going to lose everything. And yet, and it was clearly alcohol that was at the center of this. Any normal person would say, stop drinking. Um, But there's a really strong denial um, that happens. And and just a a weird lack of awareness. Um, I remember the first time somebody said to me that I called me an alcoholic. I was really... yeah, I was. I was. It, it was strange. We'd been to an all-night party in a warehouse in in Bristol. It was six o'clock in the morning, and the sun was up, and and you know we were all looking a bit blurry-eyed and and um, yeah and whatnot. And somebody said, "Come back to to my house, and we'll chill out for a bit, as you as as you do." And uh, and I said, "Have you got any booze?" And they said, "No, I haven't." That's not chilling. I said, yeah. Well, I don't want to come back to yours then. They said, "You're an out." You're an you're an alcoholic, yeah. and I said no, I'm not. And I thought you, of course, no one is going to want to go back to yours if you haven't got a drink. And then a few people said, "Well, I'm quite happy to go back and have a cup of tea." And I thought, <laughs> "You are weird. Yeah, why, would why, why would you? Why would you want to do that?" <laughs> that sounds really That's crap. What I do like it gets late at a party, like what two or three m's. So I'll put the kettle on. <laughs> yeah yeah well there there you go and so that and that is actually sensible behavior because you're looking for something that's going to rehydrate you something that's maybe going to stop you feeling so dizzy or nauseous you know i think i I just want to revert back to what you said before um you said oh god what did you say one second it's just gone for me you said about um so it was at that point where um you you were you were arrested for drink driving and you realized that you had nothing to lose because what you were worried about was it had happened the inevitable happened um what do you yes yeah do you feel like people need to go through that to that's what I was thinking. Do you need or to hit do rock you need bottom to, before you? Do you need to find your okay. trigger point where you, before you hit rock bottom, that you realise there's I've got too much to lose. Yeah. So, um, really great, great question. Um, the the thing is, is that the rock of bottom course, is yeah. a um, yeah. subjective uh term because what, what one person's rock bottom is is not another. So you can you can see you know what we think of as the kind of. Um, 
quintessential drunk park bench drunk you know covered in sores and uh pro- probably you know very jaundiced and uh lost absolutely everything including their teeth and you know uh, family and you just can't associate with that level of that that yeah. low that these people have have, have uh, you know um, descended to whereas you know whereas my my rock bottom which happened in 2017 was just a yeah. recognition that i was about to lose everything um and uh, most importantly yeah. that i was about to um damage my children uh so so i think you know and and what that what what i'm referred to as is a a high bottom drunk which means that my the point at which i hit rock bottom would would was was a high you know relatively high um but yeah i i think so if we if we differentiate right between we haven't really talked about definition but if we differentiate between an alcoholic and someone that that develops a dependency on alcohol and um alcohol abuse or um harm uh harmful alcohol use as somebody who is engaged in um alcohol habits that are not good for them or for the people around them then the the former i don't i don't believe that a tr- somebody with alcohol dependence or I, I don't know anyone with alcohol dependence that has um managed to control their drinking um and or abstain from alcohol without having reached yeah, their uh, a idea bottom, of a or had bottom. a kind of what some people call a spiritual emergency yeah mm-hmm. yeah um whereas i think with with other people and i i have lots of friends who you know get home from from work and the first thing they do is pop a cork on the on the wine bottle or or crack a beer and it's just become habitual to you know i i, I this is to do with dopamine so our, our dopamine um our reward system it it uh flags particular contexts or circumstances as being uh, appropriate for um a particular uh behavior so as soon as you walk in that door associated with getting home yeah. and kind of going ah you know letting the day kind of fall off you is uh, opening the beer opening the fridge and hearing that you know and so it's not so much about the alcohol as it is a kind of ritual and it's associated with rewarding behaviors and um and actually what you can do is you can get to a point where somebody might point out that you're doing a bit too much of that you know you're drinking you know one or two bottles of wine every night you're supposed to limit it if you're going to be healthy to 14 units uh, a week so maybe you want to look at those things and 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 in that case then things like um cognitive behavioral therapy um which your doctor can can refer you to or you can personally you know you find a a therapist they will help you to look at those habits and look at the kind of assumptions that are underneath it yeah. and to say okay well that's not a behavior that i want to continue to do and so you you gain an awareness of what it is that's driving you to do those things and and how perhaps I you'd like to reconfigure your life to, that, to, sorry, to make son, it being the person that tells that um, person they're doing yeah. it a bit too much um no, obviously on the receiving end um a lot of the time they're going to become defensive um i do feel like um 
personally, I think the person who's yeah. trying to stop the the other person, um, they should be a bit more persistent and not give up because it can be just one thing that you say to them that will make them go to a, a doctor or yeah. a therapist or a counsellor that will change their lives. And I think a lot of people might tend to give up on people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, really tricky one. And, and I, and I can only really talk to my experience, which is that it my my, yeah. my wife w- did, was, was intolerant of my, my drinking. So a lot, a lot of my, a lot of my friends were kind of like, yeah, you're a great crack. And, you know, it's always good fun when you, when you come out drinking, cause we never know quite what's going to happen. Um, and so they kind of reinforced yeah. this image that I had of myself as drinking being a positive thing. Whereas, yeah. whereas my wife, as soon as she saw me crack that first beer, I could see that there was a distance between us. And yeah, uh, if she wasn't telling me that she was unhappy with me drinking, then I felt it. <laughs> and and at, and at the time, I thought, you know, moody cow. Why and it makes you want to drink even I, I more. Deserve a, I deserve a drink. You know, I've been working hard. I this that. And, well, that's what I, that was my excuse. But, you know, um, the fact is, is that if she hadn't been persistent and consistent in the way in which she treated my drinking and hadn't made me feel uncomfortable at times, then I, uh, the, the chances are I may I not guess have that was dealt more with of a it trigger certainly for you not to realise that this um, is bad behaviour. You know, as quickly as I did. Whereas you feel like it was a reward, but for her it was kind of like um, punishment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, yeah. you know, very yeah. often in, in men's groups, we all want a clown. Uh, don't wait. You know, it was, it was interesting when I, when I stopped, um, so pick up where I was uh, on my, my personal story. I stopped, I stopped drinking, um, uh, you know, when I went into rehab, I stopped for about six months and I, I, when I came back to it, I thought I'd solved all my problems. I thought, okay, I understand the, the mental, um, the psychological and physical components yes. of this now. So, and so I can go back to drinking yeah. and I'll be able to control it. And so what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to drink shandy, right? Yeah. So, um, I don't need to drink a lot. I'm just, it'd be nice to be able to be involved in drinking and go to the pub and actually have a beer in my hand, but I'm not going to drink anything strong. Well, in a very short period of time, uh, yes, first of all, it's really difficult to get drunk on, on shandy. You end up in the toilet most of the time. Um, and, and, and before long, I was back to hiding the fact that I was having a few drinks before I went out. And then I'd go to the bar to get around and I'd have a quick couple of shots of vodka whilst I was there. And you know, all the sneaky behaviours started to come back in. And, um, and I really couldn't, um, I couldn't understand, you know, how this had how this had come back in, you know, how, how I thought I'd solved my problem. And in 2012, I had another really terrible episode um, of drunkenness, five day binge whilst I was on holiday with the family. And I realized on the, on the, with kind of delirium tremens, DT, DTs on, on the sixth day I'd stopped. I, I had this kind of insight that this was a soul sickness, not just a, a mental or emotional issue, but there was something deeper going on. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't want to go, you know, as far as I was concerned, spirituality and, you know, was tied up in Christianity, which was all kind of, you know, God, Godified Bible bashing. I didn't want any of that. Uh, you know, I'd re- rebelled against that and run away from it. Um, but 
I yeah. uh, I was into Russell Brand. I liked him as a comedian. I realised he was an addict, and uh, um, he had uh, he he was ranting on about um, meditation. So tra- transcendental meditation is what he learned. So I thought, okay, I could do that. So I came back and I learned how to meditate. I did. I I um, learned TM, and I started to practice this. I started to practice this um, daily, and within about six weeks i couldn't believe how it had changed my life the social anxiety had gone the i just felt more comfortable around people i felt i felt as though i was gaining an awareness of myself that was authentic you know and and for the first time in my life and that was the realization better person was sober simon rather than drunken simon yeah there, there was a realization at that point that actually when i'm drunk i'm a dick when i'm sober i have the possibility of being a, a good person um and so i started to isolate myself away from events and people that that were associated with drinking because however much the meditation helped me to develop an awareness and grow as a person as soon as i picked up that first drink i was back out of control so simon let me just jump in there so like when you when you pick up your first drink i I don't know i don't know what it is i kind of picture when alcoholics have a drink so like they have the first one and then they need the second one you know you know what i mean like i i'm not really like that and because i i don't really understand that so i i can perfectly go out with mates and i do this a lot of the time i'll just have one or two and i'm fine but like when i see like a couple of my mates that are quite heavy into drinking they have the first one two minutes later at the bar like i need another drink i need a drink i need a drink and it's just like yeah yeah what's morals go out the window well, there's, so so this that's an interesting point you know the the, the way that the alcoholism and, and addiction used to be characterized as, as a moral failing um and yeah you know, and we still we still look don't we at people that overdo it and say you know you're just lacking in kind of moral fiber um but the the truth mm. is is that that is people the people who are suffering with yeah. addiction are not bad people trying to get good they're sick people trying to get well uh, yeah and um the, the 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 compulsion that takes hold of an addict whatever their substance um is not one that is related to willpower there's no the what you realize with with addicts and the first step of of the 12 steps is a realization that you're powerless over it um so there's various kind of you know um quotes that you you'll find but one of them is that uh, for an alcoholic that one drop is too much an ocean full is never enough it it sets yeah. off a biochemical reaction which is referred to in again in the 12-step traditions as as uh, as an allergy it it sets off um a reaction that drives for more and more and more and it's not about it's yeah. not all oh, i'm having good a good fun on one so i'll have a better better fun on two and even better fun on three which is what you would assume it is just an uncontrollable mm. compulsion i mean i I, how many people listening to this have been in a situation where they've, you know, someone's phoned up and said, come out for a drink. And you said, no, I can't. I've got a presentation at work tomorrow or I've got an exam or, you know, I've got an important something or other and I need to have my wits about me. Yeah. I don't want to be hungover, so I'm not going to do it. And they say, come on, we'll just have one or two and a game of 
game of pool, right? Yeah. And you go, okay, I can do that. One or two pints, a game of pool. I've worked hard today. I deserve it. I'll just have one or two. And then woken up, you know, uh, with your face in a pizza on the sofa, like four o'clock in the morning, and you don't know what happened. That's alcoholism Uh, and if that repeatedly is happening to listeners then you need to to take a look at your drinking because one of the one of the 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 major signs of you know a potential um issue addiction issue is that you you tell yourself Mm. that you're going to do one thing and you don't stick to it and you're incapable of sticking to it uh and it's not a matter of willpower you've got for me as an alcoholic and for every alcoholic i know as soon as that first drink is taken it, it the the there is yeah there's no going back not always but most of the time I am out of control. I am utter, utter. No, it's just. It's just. It's like you've you've flipped that Knock first domino. All, all I've done is flick the first one, but now it is just whirring round. Yeah, whirring. I could. I could just see the frustration in in that though, because the whole culture, especially in you know in England and you know the United Kingdom in general, it, it, like the whole culture is kind of drinking and to kind of sit there, you know, with, like everybody's got like a Corona. Well, probably wouldn't say that now, but everybody's got like a like a like um, I don't know, just a beer and common saying uh, people say, if someone's going to jump off a cliff, are you going to jump as well? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But you can understand the frustration though, Nav, can you? Because like if you go and like into social situations but, and you know and if you've got mates like mine like well what are you doing what are you doing like and you just you know like what why are you why are you not doing a shot with me why are you not doing this and i think if you if you're like socially anxious and you want to get in with a with a, with a specific crowd like the pressure for the peer pressure from that is just insurmountable yeah. it's it's just so much and you just and i have been in situations where, where like you said simon not to the point of the you know i'm doing it every weekend but i've, I've done it like on a handful of occasions a lot like, of my friends that did drink and if even if they did invite me out and i ever did go out yeah i would never succumb to drinking and i'd never feel like i needed personally to drink mm. to be a confident person i'm quite a loud yeah. person as it is and um i felt like i could just mold myself into the personality that needs to be in the room yeah and i think it's again it's about willpower of realizing that okay well maybe they might see me as boring yeah. but i don't really care because i can have fun without it so so what that so what that sounds yeah. like to me Naf, is that you are secure so um it sounds as though you have a secure had a, a secure attachment as a child and um what that means is this that you're not constantly well, looking that, outside in, of yourself for sense, approval yeah. from other people because you have an it, it, yeah because you know what what um you know there's there's so many different ways of looking at this issue of of uh, addiction and and the things that drive us or, or contribute to driving us in towards addiction but one of them for me is is uh is 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 about um uh, a sense of who i am and belonging right and and self-worth and when i go into an environment with other people what i naturally do is i i I carry a stick some wise person once said to me i carry a stick and i use that stick to measure myself against other people and then beat myself with and what happens with people that have had um, insecure attachments as children that have had traumatic experiences or have not been able to develop 
develop who they really are, have had to hide behind, you know, um, certain masks and whatnot, is that they they can create this this ideal, it's yeah. called an idealized self. So it's who should I be in that environment? You just said, you know, you feel as though you can adapt. Well, adaptation to a particular environment is good. The humans are very good at adapting. And it's important that we adapt ourselves in order to, you know, to some extent, in order to fit in with the people around us. But if you're, when you take that to an extreme, you don't really know who you are. Yeah. Because what you become is a chameleon. I mean, what color is a chameleon? No one really knows because it just picks up the it picks up the the, the color of the the, um, the environment around it to to uh, as a as a form of camouflage and this is what happens with neurotic people that have had these difficult early childhood experiences not been able to develop a sense a true sense of who they are yeah. they just become whoever they feel they should be in that environment and it's stressful is really hard to play this game of trying to be who you think other people yeah, want so you to be deco- and deco- it is much easier of, um, when you've got a drink in insecurity you. Then. Yeah, because, yeah yeah so there's yes massively i mean most almost well every alcoholic that i know and certainly myself has a deep sense of self-loathing a shame there's a shame about who we really are because we don't know who we really are or didn't know whilst we're drinking didn't really know who we were and uh there's a fear there's always a fear that that's going to be exposed that they're going to they're going to rip off the mask and ip kiss to go back to the mask. I hope everyone's watched the mask. You know, and you're going to be exposed in your brown pajamas, right, with your sad little life, and and everyone's going to uh, they're going to jeer at you and abandon you, and you know, and so on. It's a it's a it's a deep um, it's a deep yeah. sense of. Uh, self-loathing and self-hate self-hatred and shame that extends from from childhood it's very very painful drink drinking drinking for most for people who are alcoholics is not about um this is the common misconception it's not i want to have as much fun as possible it's not about you know just unbridled hedonism it's medicine and the medicine works for a bit and it stops working so you have to yeah, take more and definitely. then the medicine starts I feel like you sicker um, than the problem it's, you it's had in the first place it's great to hear place. from you because you sound a lot more confident in yeah, where I, you are now and talking through it maybe you're living through this again talking through it with us um but it's 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 a great inspiration for people that are going through it and um i do commend you and i think you deserve a bit of a round of applause for um for what you've gone through and how you've come out of it so yeah um (laughs) well thank you thank you i'm not i'm not sure i deserve that um (laughs) I, you know, I haven't told you half of the, my my uh, the things I've done wrong, but I'm I'm uh, I, I'm I'm where I am today, not because of anything that I've done. I'm here today because there are there are systems or there are wisdom traditions and there are systems of support out there in the UK and around the world. 
yeah and i think the um the birth i think the birth of the internet as well will be will have like a kind of a you know a, a knock-on impact to the you know the time you said the the drinking rates for use is kind of declining yeah. a little bit i reckon the because the the share of information is so much easier and you can connect with groups and you can attend meetings you can it's just so, life is just so much easier in that regard yeah, so. yeah. 20 years ago or 10 years ago um the position you're in now could have happened a lot sooner yeah, well, yeah. exactly. And the, the thing is, is that there's, there remains a stigma around addiction, but it is, it's less and less every day because, as you, you both rightly point out, you know, information disseminates a lot more easily now we have the internet. And, and the fact is, is that, you know, this is um, the, the emphasis on, on men. Um, the fact is, is that men are... We are if our yeah. culture is evolving to allow men to express themselves and to talk it is no it's no longer you know um, seen as wussy for men to actually open up or not so much to 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 open up and and share their issues with with other men um, yeah. and it's to make them less of a taboo subject and and it's it's really um like we, we, i do yes. feel quite honored yeah, having yeah, you absolutely. on because a lot of alcoholics might not even want to discuss their story because of what they've been through but i think it's getting over that shame of the past and and forming more of a better future for yourself and you seem to be doing that yeah 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 exactly yeah. so i mean i don't know if you're aware of joseph campbell um and what's known as the hero's journey or the the monomyth monomyth you've briefly gone over it with yeah. me but so no, so, so basically i mean it, it sits underneath pretty much all of the big stories that we tell each other in society you know from from star wars to lord of the rings and and whatnot and very briefly what it's about is is the journey that we all go on in life where we start from an order we have the opportunity for personal growth through this journey so you start in an ordinary place you then uh, are given a calling and you're called out into some sort of adventure and during that adventure you go through a really really difficult time, a crisis, a, some sort of personal um, uh, uh, trauma. And the way that you deal with that and you overcome that um, enables you to bring, uh, you return home with the yeah. wisdom and the gifts that you gained through that um, process and it goes and it goes round and round okay and this is how we you know life uh, evolution is like a spiral we go round and we hopefully elevate our consciousness as we go round so this for me alcoholism although you know i when i when i the idea for for anybody who's listening who drinks and thinks that they've got a problem i guarantee you that you're thinking about a well if you if someone told you that you were never going to be able to drink again for the rest of your life you'd seriously weigh up whether it was worth continuing to live because that's yeah. if you're an alcoholic that's how you think the the alcohol is everything you know we are we are absolutely obsessed with it if we're not doing it we're thinking about it or recovering from it and um you know the the fact is is that it feels as though there can be no life after alcohol that's certainly how i felt it's going to be dull and glum and boring and i remember asking someone what do you do at the weekends if you don't drink and they said we go to the cinema <laughs> or we go for a meal and i was just like ow dull can you possibly get you know um but the truth is is that what I found is that when I when I stopped drinking uh, three years ago, it was tough for, you know, maybe 
three or four months. But but each time I went through an event like Christmas, right? So I stopped drinking on August the 14th. And um, a few months later, I got to Christmas. Well, I'd never been through Christmas without drinking. And my birthday's at Christmas. I thought this is going to be so shit. And actually, I had an amazing Christmas because I really connected with people in a way that I couldn't while I was drunk. And I, and I felt closer to the children and to the family and to the whole spirit of coming together at Christmas. And I had a great birthday with friends. And do you know what? I got through that and I thought, that and you were more conscious of what was going on. That bad. Actually, it was better than when I was drinking because, yeah. And I, I used to get, I used to get home from, you know, I used to get to the end of a Christmas holiday, for example, and everyone would be back in at work, and I would feel wretched. And they're talking, you know, about how what a great time they had and what they did, and I just feel like I want to die every time I went on holiday. I came home absolutely ruined rather than refreshed because of alcohol suddenly i start to build up these experiences where my brain is rewiring itself neuroplasticity i'm i'm refire what you know um refiring my brain with experiences that don't involve alcohol and each time i go through these i've got a new um uh, appreciation of how life how life can be be wonderfully joyful and peaceful and fulfilling without alcohol. And so I did a full, rev, you know, uh, revolution of the sun. One year, I'd pretty much done everything and it was all good. You know, some difficult things that I wish I could have done. I can't because I'm not drinking. Two years go around and, and it gets even easier. And three years on Friday and I feel... I feel I feel as though I have the life beyond my wildest dreams. I can't imagine how I was lost in that um, delusion that alcohol was providing me with any sort of uh, joy and or fun. It's amazing where it you're at it now. Was, to be it was destroying and my life. One and the question life of those I really want me. to, I think, get answered from your point of view. Um, while you were in that alcoholic state, what do you wish you were told? or were made aware of that you think people should be aware of now? I think, I think, and, and this is what I intend to do. So I, I intend to go into addiction recovery and, 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 and some sort of outreach to people. And I think, I think what, yeah. what would have been help? The only person who can talk to an alcoholic really is an alcoholic in my in my experience it's the only people that can understand it because it's batshit crazy it doesn't make sense to anyone else unless you've been there so what i would what would have been helpful for me is if another alcoholic had been able to and i don't know how it would have landed with me and i probably would have resisted it and denied it and and told him to do one but if possible i would like another alcoholic to have said to me there is an amazing life beyond your wildest dreams that can happen in sobriety alcohol is not improving your life it's destroying it and uh all of the fear and anxiety that you use alcohol to try and douse right will be gone it's the the alcohol is is not yeah. it's perpetuating those problems it is not solving it you, you you may have you may have some residual anxiety and fears and issues from childhood but you 
you have a chance of dealing with those through therapy and yeah. through you know various means that i'm sure you guys talk about on this channel um there's there's lots of resources out there to help you to deal with difficult early life experiences or traumas through your life yeah. where you can really start to heal yourself but you can't do it while you're still drinking yeah you're, that's, that's you're a brilliant piece of, constantly of advice really and, um, issues. and i think that's even helpful for people that not just the alcoholics but people that are surrounded by them that they can help get them that support system from maybe someone who's been through it because yeah. it's it's all well and good someone who's not been through it trying to tell you that that life can get better but until there's some personal like experience they can relate to nobody's going to listen yeah yeah and that's that's why um 12-step programs or what, what are often called mutual help groups or mutual help organizations mhos are so useful because what happens is is you know whether it's um alcoholism or drug addiction or you know sex or gambling or any number of addictions you know and increasingly kind of gaming and stuff like that when when you get a group of people the thing is is that we're human beings are social creatures and what we want is to bond and we want to um, connect with other people that's ultimately what we want to do is connect with other people and connect with a deeper sense of meaning in life a true self but without going into that spiritual side of things we want to be in a group with exactly, other people yeah. where we feel valued and we feel heard and we can hear other people when you go in when you go into these mutual help organizations and you sit around and you talk about a common ailment or something that concerns each of you and you find that those other people are having the same thoughts and fears and experiences yeah. as you you know and that's feel the, so the shame, biggest ashamed takeaway from this whatever we discuss especially obviously uh, yeah, and, an addiction um no matter what that person is thinking you're not alone like there's other people going through the exact same thing you're going through Yes. Yeah. I remember walking into a room of, of alcoholics and sitting down with them and they they shared things about their uh, they shared things about their lives that I had never told anyone about my life. I never thought that I would ever have an opportunity to share it because I was so ashamed. And there they were openly sharing these things and saying, this is quite normal. This is this is how we behave and suddenly that destigmatization and, and the release of some of that shame enables me then to yeah you know integrate those things in my experience into who i am and well, i think it, it comes help, up as almost like closer to like humans are majorly objective based so like when you're drinking sort of thing like i think the objective kind of goes out the window and you need something to kind of work towards and i think roots like aa having like a goal in mind can be real i mean that would that would really help me and then uh, you're having people that you can relate to i just think that's so important like especially with like me and naf quite talk quite heavily on depression and stuff um not not just on the podcast but just like outside of it and just that act of actually talking someone that kind of knows what you're going through is just it's so important i think um as well when you're yeah, advising yeah. someone and you haven't gone through what they're talking yeah, about yeah, I, you yeah. often kind of disacknowledge the actual thing they're going through and until you you've experienced it yourself or some form of it you're yeah. unable to give ethical advice i guess 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because you know, it, and I understand it. It looks to the outside world as though you've just got someone who's a bit greedy, you know. They're just having one too many. Why don't they stop? And, and I'm guilty of it myself. I look at people and I think, well, you know, if you don't want that to keep happening, stop doing it, you know. Um, but only we know, the people that, are, that have been caught in it, we know that it's not within our control, that we are powerless, powerless over it. I mean, one, one thing that I would say kind of finally about, about this is that um, there, is a, there is a meaning crisis in our society, in our culture, where, you know, we've, we've lost any real sense of, of direction, I think. You know, we, we used to have kind of religion and, uh, and then science and, you know, uh, and, and with science, there's a kind of a bit of a disenchantment of society where we've lost, lost sight of anything beyond the kind of material or, or flesh level of, of being. And, and um, what, what my recovery has showed me is that there is a deep purpose and meaning to life. And, and uh, I think in recovery, you know, all the addicts that I know that are in, in recovery, what they find is, is that... All of the terrible things that led up, led into the addiction, and then the terrible things that happen in addiction themselves, can actually be put to wonderful use in helping to heal other people. And so there's a deep. So instead of your alcoholism or your addiction or whatever being, you know, a shameful cross that you carry, yeah. it becomes a, a, a medicine bag that you carry to help other people. And there's a deep. And and in that, so it's. Uh, you there's there's a sense of meaning that emerges in recovery that is deeply fulfilling um yeah that, that should we've covered quite a lot and i guess we could carry on talking forever but um at this point we've we feel like we've given sufficient amount of information to agree sam yeah, 100%. I mean, we can always get you on again, Simon, if there's something else that crops up with um, substance abuse or alcoholism or anything anything like childhood trauma or that type of thing. We definitely want to get you on again. Yeah, so it's been it's been great having you. Yeah, um, I'd be honoured to come back, guys. I think guys. we're going to do the outro, but um, yeah, thanks for coming on, Simon. It's, it's, it means a lot. Yeah, it's really good. Thank you so much. Okay, well, um, well, this has been Just Mates, and as you've probably just heard, um, we just had Simon on, and he's given a great amount of advice um, for everyone yeah. listening, and there's things that I've learned that I didn't know. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, no, it's been really insightful. I mean, I, I know Simon quite well, obviously, because he's my uncle, but he said some things I was just like you know was shocked so this is the great thing about this podcast it's like we when we had dom on you know the military guy um he said a bunch of things that i just you know there's things that i didn't know about 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 him and it, everything fleshes out and it just goes to show that until you talk about it there's so many different avenues and so many things that you're just unaware of yeah yeah man no it was it was really good and yeah we'll definitely um get him on again because i feel like this will crop up um maybe some point in the near future and it'll be yeah really good to dive into maybe some aspects we didn't really go into but we covered a lot yeah, today. a lot um so. and hopefully anyone that's a recovering alcoholic going through it or feeling like they might be going through it has taken a lot of information from this and realized there's a there's a better route out and um alcohol is not the answer really and as easy yeah. as it is to say that but we've just had first-hand experience um and advice from someone who's been through it 
Yeah, and you can see how detrimental and how damaging it can be to your life. But yeah, as, as Naf said, there's and, and this is our message through through all of our podcasts is there's always light at the end of yeah. the tunnel. And the biggest point is you're never too old or too young to recover. I mean, Simon no. said he's 46 and yeah. his recovery really officially started at 43. And some people might think that's too long or too old, but there's no age barrier. There's no milestone for when you have to have recovered by it can happen at any point in your life yeah yeah should we cap it off there mate yeah yeah let's uh let's call it a day well this has been just mates um you can find us on our socials on facebook instagram and twitter at just mates pod um please like and subscribe to our youtube channel um which is just mates podcast as well um i've been the feast i've been sam and see you later see you later bye